Hello and welcome to a ex- an extremely special. <laughs> you might say a fun did, special episode. Certainly a, a winter fun special. Um, <laughs> did did I have an introduction? Oh, I said we we talked about the podcast for comics editors, but also that's from an episode that, of course, came out weeks ago. Yes, so. of course. <laughs> <laughs> As we all know, these all get recorded in chronological order, just like your favorite movies. <laughs> Um, but this is, of course, got the runs. If I have said a good logline in an earlier episode, just stick with that. <laughs> <And> this... <laughs> uh, I'm joined, as always, by my intrepid uh, sidekick, David. <laughs> I don't know if that's the language I'd use, but certainly. You're sort of the pokey to my gum. Is that fair to say? That, I guess that is fair to say. Uh, I'm certainly, <laughs> I'm the problematic one. <laughs> oh, wow, they're both a little problematic. They're both pretty, pro- I mean, hey. What do you, I mean, what do you think Sheriff Gumby is yeah. doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh i i actually meant to do this before we started recording but i pulled have you watched any gumby recently N- well are, so are you familiar i've sent you gumby screens right no so there's a twitter account this is it's it's strange that gumby's really coming back into the zeitgeist lately <laughs> there's a twitter account i think just called gumby screens which just posts screenshots from gumby and because it's Gumby, all of the screenshots are inherently good. <laughs> I'm looking at a still frame from uh, the Pokey Express episode 15 of season one from Gumby that I was <laughs> watching on YouTube while waiting for you to come on. And uh, it's extremely good. There's there's a great one of just Pokey with like his eyes popping out of his head. Po- Pokey's <laughs> eyes are always popping out of his head. <laughs> Which is constantly good. But of course... Let's let's introduce the podcast. Um, as you as we all know, we've just finished our Scott McCloud miniseries. That was great. We did a really good job with it, and he did too. Really, he I loved having him on for that interview. It was great to talk. Yeah, to him. That, we'll be releasing that soon in the Patreon <laughs> feed. Um, but since we are uh, we are in between uh, miniseries right now. Uh, I imagine that, well, wait, do you think people will know by the time this episode comes out what our next, uh, who the next person we're covering will be? Yeah, I think we'll we'll talk about it at the end of The Sculptor. Okay, so of course, as we all know, last week we talked about who we'll be doing next and that person will be coming next week, I imagine. Uh, but in the interim, we have to make good on a promise that we made in a previous was this back in episode i believe so i believe it was episode two and the reason that we brought it up was because episode issue 14 of zot was nominated for the eisner for best single issue that's the second part of the season of dream story where jenny's in her her nightmare world and we learned that it lost the award to Gumby's <laughs> Summer Fun Special number one, right? Which at the time I found mind-boggling, and now having <laughs> read Gumby's Summer Fun Special, I cannot, I cannot fathom <laughs> how that decision was made. But hey, the '80s were another time. We will certainly get into it. But my main takeaway is that Gumby's Summer Fun Special is the work of a psychopath. <laughs> Uh, but yes, as promised, it's Boss Baby 2 coming. <laughs> Boss Baby 2 <laughs> review finna drop. But uh, until then, we'll be covering, as previously referenced, Gummies, gum- <laughs> <laughs> Gumby's 
summer fun special. It's an annual or a, you know, a one shot uh, from it's what's the cover date on? I believe July uh, 87. Yeah. And then Gumby's winter fun special is January 88. Is that correct? That sounds right to me. We'll just assume that's oh, true. December, December, December 88. 88. Oh, so this is like wow, eighteen far, months later. I didn't realize they were that far apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's shall we start by talking Gumby? <laughs> yeah, let's because as I was trying to remember this because we both know who Gumby is <laughs> and have seen Gumby content, but I can't remember why. <laughs> so the, here's here's the thing: is that we also conflate. I think. This is diving into family lore, which is serious. Okay, I was I was thinking this as well, so I'm glad I, you're bringing this up. I believe that a large part of our familiar with Gumby is conflating him with insert name here. What's the name of this character? <laughs> I don't remember. I was hoping you would. Uncle Rob's home claymation movie project. <laughs> yes. So, so a family friend, our father's high school friend had created his own claymation home movie amateur film. I'm tr- oh, I really wish I could remember the name. Like it's not Gumby, but I'm it sure is Gumby. I'll, I'll drop a quick message in the family chat to see if anyone remembers like his can, name uh, is basically like Clumby or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or as the toy miners call them uh Bungie and Cloakie. <laughs> Cloakie of course a hilarious uh, reference to Art Cloakie creator of uh, Gumby. Oh, that is funny. Uh but anyways, yeah. So so that it, it was a very Gumby-like creature. I think the reason that that is true is that the blockheads who are villains from Gumby right. are actually like he's <laughs> flaunting IP law and using the blockheads as the villains in in those movies. Like I think it also, just straight up is. <laughs> I think the it's also because the main character is Gumby. <laughs> like <laughs> that, I don't recall. I I seem to recall it's a character virtually indistinguishable from Gumby. So I think. A large part of our familiar with Gumby comes from whatever that was called, which we will we'll get to the bottom of that by the end of uh, the end of the episode. Much like Gumby with his deerstalker hat that he likes to put on. <laughs> but so what? What do you know about Gumby? Because <laughs> I was I was kind of wondering what the deal was with Gumby and where Gumby so- was at this time. <laughs> yeah, where Gumby was at this time, I believe that he had. Like they were reaching the end of a like second run of kind of like Gumby Mania is, is I guess how right. I would describe it. Um, but it was so it was created by Art Clokey in the fifties. He was like a USC film student uh, and like finished like graduated and then saw Fantasia and was like, I bet I could do something like this, but like claymation and created Gumbasia (laughs) in which he debuted (laughs) his signature character, Gummy, Gumby, (laughs) excuse me. (laughs) I'm going to keep calling him Gummy. Uh, Here are a few other things I know about him. He's called Gumby because they his grandparents lived on a farm and his grandparents like, no art cloakie's grandparents okay. lived on a farm the the like there was this like soil slash clay that was like very muddy that they all called gumbo so he thought it would be funny to call his uh his clay character gumby his That's father's so name is also funny. gumbo 
Wait. His mother's name. So, okay, hold okay. on. You need to say. You need to say if you're talking about Gumby <laughs> or you're talking about Art Clunky. <laughs> because if, if Art Clunky's father is named Gumbo, that's all the explanation I need as to why he created Gumby. <laughs> Art Cloakie's father is not named Gumbo to my knowledge, although I will quickly double check that. <laughs> Gumby's father is named Gumbo. <laughs> His mother's name is Gumba. Mm, uh, I don't know and if I like that. I read an article somewhere where they claimed that the reason he is Gumby is because it's short for Gumbino. <laughs> and that <laughs> the Gumbo Gumba and Gumbino are supposed to be like after the Latin fashion. Right. And Art Cloakie apparently credits his studies of Latin with his success. That sounds <laughs> <Which> seems <laughs> fake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyways, so he had a run in like the 50s and 60s where he was popular. Apparently, in like the 80s, he enjoyed uh, a revival, possibly on because the back of, of like an SNL parody. Yeah, Eddie Murphy famously plays Gumby, where it's just like, it's just Eddie Murphy dressed up like Gumby being Eddie Murphy, and it's funny because it's Gumby. Yeah. So, they they parlayed that uh, resurgence to relevance into like a hundred shorts um that <laughs> like that were aired does. in the 80s <laughs> yes like one does apparently the same uh voice actor returning to do gumby which seems crazy to me but that there you have crazy. it so this would be coming out towards the tail end of those uh those shorts seeing the air yeah and then in the 90s there was a gumby movie which i feel like maybe we saw but maybe we didn't i think you're probably thinking of that movie that we that i believe we are we are in, in. yes that's correct <laughs> we act yeah oh okay so our brother has confirmed <laughs> uh -oh. that the name of that character <laughs> is gooby uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> uh so that should tell you just about everything you need to know um, <laughs> yeah it's not gumby it's gooby before we started talking, uh, I just want to treat you to a quick uh, sample of <laughs> this Gumby episode that I was watching. We can cut like this silent air f for a second, but I just want you to hear Pokey's voice, which mm -hmm. is uh, a sight to behold. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, yes, Gumby, uh, Pokey rather is like a mid-Atlantic newscaster who's like, I say, Gumby, the people are concerned because they can't get their letters to Santa Claus. And talks in like an extremely clipped tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Gumby is like, gosh! Yeah, Gumby is like a small child. Yeah. Um, which is borne out by the... So, would... Would you say Gumby has a plot? <laughs> I don't... It doesn't... S or like, is... There's no, like, canon to Gumby. It's like, Gumby is just, like, in places, it seems like. Yeah, uh, it seems like the whole thing is really just uh, a showcase for claymation. Um, and the only consistent characters are Gumby, Pokey, and the Blockheads. Uh, and, like, obviously, Gumby's family kind of is, like, in and out. Um, but I, I get the sense that, like... 
a given episode of Gumby is not that different from what happens in the Summer Fun special, only like right. a little less breakneck in terms it's of It's just the like basing. one chapter. I feel like it's one chapter of like the Summer Fun special. Yeah. It, or, or, yeah. Or like the, the clip I just played for you is a classic example. So, the start of that episode, Pokey calls Gumby and is like, Gumby, do you want to hang out together? And Gumby's like, oh, sure, Pokey, I'll meet you at the Western Town. <laughs> and then as we right. saw, they were, they, they're like, okay, here we go to meet at the Western Town. And now we're like at the Pony Express and there's this yeah, like and now it's prospector like 18, mailman whatever. being like, I can't get the people their letters to Santa Claus. <laughs> right. Um, as we all know, between 1955 and 1989, Pokey was voiced by Art Cloakey. <laughs> <laughs> but also like there's like weird overlapping times, but it seems like a very, it also seems like a very common thing that the same person will voice both Gumby and Pokey. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I picture it as sort of like they live in like Mario Party, where like they live in like the hub <laughs> of Mario Party and then just go in, into like different worlds as they please. There doesn't seem to be much established continuity to it, which makes perfect sense uh, when you read Gumby's Summer Fun Special, number one. Yes. Why, do do let's get into Gumby's Summer Fun Special. Uh, <sighs> yes. Uh, well, we can start with my begin? now classic segment, What's Going On Here? Yes. We talked about the cover, I believe, <laughs> yes, we... that was our impetus to uh, to initially explore Gumby's Summer Fun Special. I don't think yes, we realized at the time how faithfully... <laughs> yeah, ex- that's exactly <laughs> what I have here. It's like... As we've previously discussed, it is Gumby and Pokey on an incredibly stark white background. <laughs> like, just pure white as if they are in, like, the Daffy Duck cartoons where Daffy is mad at the animator for drawing him uh-huh. wrong. Um, they're running away from a UFO blasting lasers at them uh, and are being followed by, in order, robots, a skeleton, pirates, a werewolf, astronaut bears with laser guns... More monsters. Yeah, an assortment of Halloween creatures. Yeah, and Halloweenies. You might think this is not at all indicative of what the comic is. But in, in fact, fact, every character depicted on the cover does appear in the course is, of the comic. And, is, and that's basically the plot of the comic. It's just like, everyone's running along. And Gumby and Pokey are in the lead. Yes, it, it begins by saying, oh, what a sunny day in America. <laughs> yes, it does begin with that. But okay, before before we get into the plot, such as it is, um, uh, I just want to briefly talk about the creative team. We already mentioned that Art Adams is the artist on both of these issues. Uh, Highly renowned Art Adams. Yes, like X-Men legend Art Adams, uh, who was very influential. Like on GameCube? Uh, no (laughs) great game though no legendary x-men artist and and many other things that he worked on but i think best known for his x-men work uh which right out the gate is an insane choice for (laughs) a gumby comic because as you see in the issue the art of everything that's not Gumby or Pokey is like incredibly detailed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All the human beings are very like rendered. Yeah. Um and then the writer, which I feel like explains a lot of what we are kind of dancing around in terms of the absolute insanity <laughs> of this issue is Bob Burden, who is best known, I think, probably for uh 
the flaming carrot. Are you familiar with the flaming carrot at all? No, I'm not. So flame, flaming carrot comics. Uh, I'm looking at him now. Yes, this is a, he's a, he is a Bob Burden's signature character. He is a guy whose head is a giant carrot, which its leaves are on fire, and also his it's feet flaming. are like gooey. I think they're supposed to also be like oh, they're like leaves. flippers and leaves. Yeah, I'm not not totally clear on it. Um, I think probably better known like Flaming Carrot Comics is biggest like impact on popular culture at large is the Mystery Men. Um, who, oh, like the movie? Yes. So, the Mystery Men movie is based on characters who appear in Flaming Carrot Comics. Oh, that's very strange. Yes. <laughs> but not, not unlike Bob Burden himself. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Flaming, <laughs> I'm seeing that. Flaming Carrot is like a renowned surrealist humor book uh, for which, yeah, like he is highly celebrated, highly decorated. I think he wins some Eisners for Flaming Carrot as well around this time. Um, Oof. He... Yeah. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't, I don't get it. Like, reading this book made me feel like ill. <laughs> like, I had to lie down <laughs> after like, reading this book. I talk, I talk about this a lot, but there's a very specific feeling, like a sense memory from my childhood, where it's Sunday afternoon. We are also recording this on a Sunday. Oh, yeah, it is Sunday, right? Yeah, it's a Sunday afternoon. There's a movie playing on TV that is like from the late or early to late 90s that I've never seen. I don't know what it is. I never see the beginning of the movie, but I turn on the TV and see it. And then like just the act of consuming this movie, the movie specifically that I'm thinking of in my mind when I imagine such a movie is the Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> and it's just like I, I watch it and like I try to parse what's happening and then I just get a stomach ache and have to like <laughs> turn off the TV and like go lie down because I don't feel well. And that is the same energy that Gumby is bringing here. Yeah, so... I would I would characterize the pace of this book as breakneck. Um, like the same thing is rarely happening for a, even like a full page at a time. And it's like it's like narrated for yeah. no reason. It's it's narrated, and there's all kinds of like non sequitur panels that are just like inserted. <laughs> Okay, let's let's start at the beginning. So, as we mentioned, it's a beautiful sunny day in America. Gumby and Pokey are playing kick the can with a group of with neighborhood humans. kids. Yes, normal, <laughs> to be clear. normal human kids, except one of them is named Chubby. And as the narrator tells us, he's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're while they're found out by a Chubby. Pokey runs and kicks the can successfully. Well, don't go, don't go too far here because I, I want, I want to deep dive on what Gumby's talking about when he says, "Now for my canteen, collapsible drinking cups and fizzies." Yeah, so that's page one, panel four. <laughs> <laughs> Is Gumby and well, Pokey? I mean, I guess I get canteen and collapsible drinking cups. That's like a camping thing. But what yeah. are fizzies? Uh, fizzies, I believe, uh, are like kind of like little tablets that you use to turn water into pop. Um, oh, you're right. Whoa. Yeah. So you like, like drop them and stir them this in, is, and it like, this is like the most fifties invention yeah, ever. It's it's, it's like, like Kool Aid powder, basically, except it also like <laughs> carbonates it. 
Yeah, it's like this seems magical even now, but also is insane and no one should ever use it. <laughs> yeah, so they they huddle down in the bush and they're like, we're going to drink some pop. And Pokey says, walla walla, which... Get dollar. <laughs> what? No, I just, I mentally inserted that. I, I just, I'm really sorry, but I need to point out the fact that on, on the Wikipedia page for fizzies, under the heading serving temperature, oh it says, with water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yes, uh, Pokey says Walla Walla, which is, I, the, the problem here is that that could either be a 1950s expression or it could be a 1980s expression. <laughs> yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure exactly what the deal with that is. There is a city in Washington called Walla Walla, apparently. Well, uh, famously, ooey, ooh, ah, ah. Yes, uh, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. Yes, the witch doctor famously says such a thing, which is a 50s thing, I have to assume. I believe that is true. 1958, yes. Yes, anyways, they're playing kick the can. Pokey kicks the can. There is a rock in it and he breaks his hoof, question mark? Yeah, I was wondering why would that change anything? Uh, Unless it was like a giant rock and like it was really heavy. Yeah, and it doesn't because it's never mentioned again. <laughs> much like and uh, the can pretty much everything. Over the so, okay, the, there's, a, there's a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. He kicks the can, it flies over the fence and breaks into Gumby's neighbor's house, Wooster. <laughs> Wooster. But then... <laughs> As they're like... I'm obsessed with the Wooster. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to Wooster. As they're going through like the basic storytelling beats of like the old lady across the street is like, hey, you kids, what are you doing? There's like a one quarter length panel <laughs> that says little Tommy Toddler fires his cap pistol from the shrubbery and has, <laughs> you know, that's exactly what the art shows. That is sandwiched between the other kids saying run away from the old lady and Gumby saying, let's go check on Wooster. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, you're, ask you're asking the purpose of such a thing? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, this comic is very effective at like disorienting you. <laughs> like I felt like I was constantly struggling to figure out what was going on. And also like, it's so insane because the narrative boxes like, there's narrative boxes in probably, like, 50% of the panels, and all of them just say the thing you're looking at. Yes. So, it's like, there's a panel of a broken window, and the caption above it says, a broken window in the garage. <laughs> and I... It's like, is this a bit? Yeah. See, what, <sighs> so, what I thought what I thought this was going to be, which is basically what Gumby's winter fun special is, not to spoil it, <laughs> but I thought it was like, well, it's Gumby, so it's kind It's like... It almost zodish in the sense that it's like, well, it's Gumby, so it's like kind of childlike and innocent and a little like fantastical. But also there's like a sort of wry, sarcastic, maybe slightly ironic humor about it that would appeal to adults as well. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go down to, to Wooster. But this is just the work of a mat. Well, I'm yes, that's that's a great. <laughs> I want to I want to bring Wooster into this because Wooster really kicks off my overarching question: Who is this for? <laughs> yes, so. When we meet Wooster, he is trying to kill himself. He is lying on the couch, <laughs> wrapped in wires that go this to the so lightning crazy. rod on the roof. And he says to Gumby, a child, I've had it, Gumby. I've just had it. I'm giving up. 
I'm lying here watching TV, ordering pizza, and waiting for a storm. <laughs> well, he also, he he clarifies that the reason he's killing himself is the bombs, the chemicals, <laughs> the disease, the noise. <sighs> oh, boy. Dark, Yeah, and dark we, again, Wooster... Wooster, just a very detailed human man. He looks like he's from Watchmen. <laughs> he looks like, <laughs> yeah, he like, looks like he's, he's in a bit of a low his, season for sure. <laughs> with, with his like shaggy hair, unkempt beard, yeah. and hollow eyes. Yeah, his paunch, his socks with the holes in the toes, like around <laughs> its protruding big toe. Of course, a heavy length of wire is wrapped. <laughs> And of course, after that page where he explains why he's trying to kill himself, mm -hmm. the only, pretty much the only thing he says for the rest of the comic is, I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I said, this really kicks off my question of who is this for? Because I read a review of this that was kind of like, Gumby's Summer Fun Special is like the ultimate kids comic because it works the way a kid's imagination works. And I was like... That kind of makes sense in terms of how much it like just bounces around and yeah. it's sort of like, what if we were pirates? Oh, wait, what if we were in Halloween Town? Oh, what if we were astronauts? But then I'm like, right. yeah, but then also you have like the suicidal middle-aged man who tells Gumby the details of his planned suicide like yes. in the middle of it. Which is a wild plan. <laughs> He's waiting for a storm to electrocute him. Um, but yes, and so... Pokey, of course, correctly identifies that Wooster has become a mope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, a fitting diagnosis. They try to cheer him up, but before they are able to do so, Gumby is called home because he is supposed to be babysitting for Mr. and Mrs. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> and you can guess what they yeah. are. <laughs> and again, speaking of like shockingly detailed renderings, like <laughs> Mrs. Robot in particular literally looks like an extra. X-Men character. She, she looks, looks like, like Jocasta. She, she looks like Metropolis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Robot is an amazing character design with his like riveted his metal, metal pipe. pipe. Yeah. He um, looks like he looks kind of like a robot from the film Robots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, they are of course going to Stockholm so yep. that Mr. Robot can receive his oh the actual sorry, excuse my uh, my bias. They're both going to receive their award from the Grand Hall of Science. Um and so, uh, for and some Gumby's reason, parents are just yes, tagging along. Gumbo and Gumba are also going <laughs> to Stockholm for some reason, and Gumby is to babysit the robot children, Mem, Blib, and Baby Niblet, uh, who are very <laughs> excited to play with Gumby. Uh, yeah, and who Niblet is? Uh, yes, quite and, quite a uh, yes, figure. Niblet is just a lot. But ostensibly, Gumby, Gumby must be older than them because he's babysitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so you have to figure. Well, so Gumby is like kind of manning the manning the station until the real babysitter from the agency, from the agency. arrives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so uh, he only really is supposed to be watching them. It sounds like for a couple of hours, like maximum. Right. Yes, and then they play. Cowboys and Indians. They do. Uh, and again, another, an insane, it's not exactly a non sequitur, but like a bizarre insert panel 
where it's established that they're playing cowboys and Indians. And then we see that Blib, the girl, is wearing a headdress. And the caption box says, being a girl, Blib has to play an Indian. Uh, but then Blib is saying, I like being an Indian. <laughs> Which... <laughs> As if responding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> responding to the, to directly. The to the narrator's argument. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Gumby is the sheriff. He says I'm the sheriff. Yes, and he's uh, canceled. His... Uh, and Pokey is also canceled. Uh, uh, really, everyone's really, yeah, canceled Blib is here. extremely canceled as well because they both are dancing <laughs> very offensively <laughs> around Wooster, who is being burned at the stake. <laughs> That was that did that was the one time that the narration made me laugh. Where it just says Wooster is burned at the stake, <laughs> and he of course doesn't care as he doesn't care about anything. Yes, he would. He's why he should be encouraging this. Really, <laughs> yes. Uh, Niplet is of course the only one who's not canceled because he is sitting in the corner by himself, um, communicating. To yes, with we we later learn with aliens. Um, yes, with the hysterians. Yes, with the hysterians. I don't even like this whole section. Is is bizarre. Like the power goes out. It's maybe Niblet's fault. Then the Hysterians show up who look like something out of like an EC sci-fi comic. The Hysterians are insane. <laughs> they Their heads are skulls with the eyes like poking out. Yeah, they it's disgusting. It is disgusting. <laughs> like, I don't know how they got away with this. It's like it's it's like Mars attacks mixed with someone's eyes getting pulled. like they have like their eyes are like really long and like you can like see yeah. the optic nerve that attaches them yeah. to their head which and they then their like... bodies are like they're like dressed like who's yeah from the, from the dr <laughs> seuss series of properties the seussiverse yes yes so they they come to gumby's house because niblet like hijacked their flying saucer am i am i understanding that correctly Yes, he is like talking to the he's like talking to the flying saucer. Right. And so they don't realize that yet. And while the hysterians are like coming to see what's going on, the babysitter Mrs. Wardle shows up and is revealed that unknown to the agency or even to the babysitter herself, she's a werewolf. <laughs> well, Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, Pokey peeks out the window at the babysitter and has a thought bubble that says peek. <laughs> peek. Um, <laughs> it's not a sound effect. No, it's not He's a sound effect. He is, he is thinking that. Uh, yes, so the werewolf is there and the hysterians arrive pretty much at the same moment. Uh, Pokey. Yeah, simultaneously. Pokey chastises Gumby for opening the door. <laughs> um. The babysitter really appears to get killed. Yeah, uh, I will gets- say they do my number one favorite bit. The babysitter slash werewolf is shot with an like electric ray gun. And when she's electrocuted, you do see her skeleton, which uh, yes. I'm a big fan of. One of the great bits. Um, Pokey gets wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just gets, he gets smacked. But really the whole house gets completely trashed. Yeah, it's uh, kind like, of... The saucer has left a hole in the wall that is like a Looney Tunes perfect outline of itself. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that it kind of dead. has the vibe of, uh, it kind of has the vibe of Into the Spider-Verse when they have the fight in the house mm. and like everything is just trashed afterwards. Yeah, and Wooster is like a suicidal Aunt May sitting on the couch just <laughs> accepting it all. Well, he doesn't care. 
famously. Yes. Um, but yes, and so and they also they leave with Niblet. Yes, the babysitter they Niblet. remains a werewolf for some reason. Yes, well she anyways. she comes back like to life later on and attacks them again. Oh really? Yes. Oh, uh, I that's because that's when the right bears come it's, in. It's like two panels. Yeah, so they they gear up to save. Niblet. Niblet. Uh, I believe we get a gentle suggestion here that possibly Gumbo served in Vietnam <laughs> because <laughs> from somewhere, Gumby has procured a, ca- a camouflaged helmet that has like ghillie mesh over it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, also has like a pop gun. Um, Bim is once again canceled. She's put her headdress back on. <laughs> Pokey uh, has a pot on his head. Pokey has a and, pot on his head. And popsicles. I I don't know if I would be out of line to suggest that the uh, older brother is also kind of dressed like a Viet Cong. Yeah, well, he like his clothes are normal, but he's wearing like a rice paddy hat. But or maybe it's just like a more like a World War One. Like, oh yeah, maybe you're right. It really does look like a rice paddy hat in the one panel that I'm looking at. But you're right; it could be just more of like a flatter style. Uh, yeah, yeah, helmet. Um, and then, of course, as we all know, astronaut bears appear. Yes, to save the kids from the resurrected werewolf. Huh, we're only halfway through the issue. <laughs> Pokey thinks to himself, look at the size of their heads. Yes, every, there's several cracks about how small the bears' heads are, which like... Which is like, they're not that small. They're not, really. Um, so, basically, well, we, we, can, we can fast forward a little here. There are space bears who are the like intergalactic police force, and they want to get the Hysterians... Because of their tragic flaw, their hysterical nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they so they chase the hysterians around. They like crash several times, uh, and then are like caught up to, and then make their escape again. They finally crash on an island and are like buried underground, and then pirates come across them and think that the UFO is buried treasure. Yes, and start we digging to try cut, it. We hard cut to pirates, yes. some of which are Gumbies, <laughs> yes, and some of which are humans. Again, this is where I this is where I really questioned, like, what is this world? Because at the beginning, they seem to be in like the real world, mm-hmm. uh, like you know, relatively well, speaking, they're in a Holland real, at one point, <laughs> like, <laughs> a real just... world where like Gumbies and Pokies exist, right. but more or less the real world, and then smash cut to 19th 18th century pirates yeah like very clearly like no no attempt to modernize at all just pirates yeah uh i yeah i don't know what the deal is with the pirates uh there's an extremely good bit so pokey and gumby infiltrate the pirates by putting on pirate clothing and just kind of like walking up to the campfire and sitting down and like pretending that they're one of them and pokey turns up uh gets drunk on grog (laughs) gumby has to say to him pokey no more grog now and pokey (laughs) replies Ah, oh, what are you know, you silly landlubber, while, like, sloshing back another mug of grog? The first time there's a written accent, but certainly not the last. Certainly not the last. Uh, um, yes, and then there's a, a sort of Rogue One-esque battle. <laughs> yeah, they so they eventually are able to get the, the UFO out, but then the Hysterians attack the pirates and astronaut bears join forces to fight the hysterians 
led by One guy Gumby. gets a hole in him. One guy gets a hole in him and says, oh, great, just great. Will you look at this now? Niblet and just has like <laughs> truly his full torso is just an empty yeah. hole. <laughs> Niblet takes up the cutlass, uh, <laughs> participates in the battle as well. Long story short, they win the battle. The space bears oh. well, arrest. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes. They win the battle because, I'm going to quote directly here, Gumby went behind the lines and snuck Cuban coffee syrup into the hysterian drinking rations, <laughs> which caused them to be stiff, stiff as boards, stressed out in a state of shock. What does that mean? Yeah, I think I think it's supposed to indicate that... Is it because they're so they're hysterical? So, like, they're so caffeinated that when that they drink like, coffee, bodies have shut down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess that makes a little bit yes, of sense. And the bears do refer to this as a sly gamble. <laughs> Which. Uh, <laughs> anyways, that that mean. The, bears, the bears take the hysterians home, but they don't have enough room on and their ship. Yeah. So. Like, they essentially kill them. Yes. And are just like, sorry. Although there is a great panel of all the pirates and robots and Gumby <laughs> yeah. waving goodbye and saying bye-bye. Anyways. They, they, they basically leave them to die, but for some reason, the pirates and the Gumby gang are just fine with it. Yeah. Uh, Gumby is elected leader of the pirates. Uh, king of the pirates. King of the pirates. And... Uh, orders them to take him to America. There is an insert panel of Pokey swabbing the deck where the narrator says Pokey swabs the deck. Uh, they get lost. They get lost and because they the can't that- for, for many days, which we'll talk about the timing of this, all this later, but suffice to say they're lost for many days. Um, and then it's revealed that the reason that they're lost is because the captain always navigated using a crystal ball, which they then did they did they even use it? They just I kind think of, they don't know how. Like Gumby tries, but he can't get it to work. But and they, they see just land, coincidentally end up yeah in Halloween Town. <laughs> yes, in in ba- yes. Ha- I mean, this is for this predates uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, but. That's basically, well, not quite that, but it's a, it's a world where all of the Halloween creatures yes, live. They need a little skeleton boy, there are witches, a happy there are skeleton ghouls. boy tending his pumpkins. <laughs> Certainly. Um, and then they are attacked by pumpkin eaters, which just look like people, but with yeah. really weird faces and giant mouths. Like Tweedledee and Tweedledum types, kind of. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Um, then... Gumby, oh, the witch teaches Gumby how to use a crystal ball. Yes. The pirates decide to stay because it's, quote, their kind of place. <laughs> Not Pittsburgh, much, but. Yes, <laughs> much like Pittsburgh. I th- I, well, oh, that's a Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh pirates, pirates joke. Yeah, but again, who is this for? <laughs> uh, uh, and then they get home only to see a the horrifying yeah, the giant grin. <laughs> Plastered across the face of Wooster. I would characterize him as aggressively happy. <laughs> he explains that his spirits picked up because he got married. Yes, he met an Avon lady and then instantly married them. Um, and then the ray gun has turned the babysitter 
back into not being a werewolf anymore. Yeah, not that she appears uh, to, no, <laughs> to she, be seen. She's not on screen. But the, And then the Gumby's parents come back and... For a return um, from Stockholm. <laughs> yeah, they had a good time in Sweden. Uh, and you were correct that it is indeed Mr. Robot who... Hey, my favorite TV show over here. Oh. Uh, Mr. Robot is the one who won a medal for a scientific invention. I assume... They're basically saying he won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> yes, I, I believe that is what they're saying. I also was wondering if uh, the invention is his wife and children. <laughs> <laughs> it's plausible. They don't really look alike. No, they don't. Uh, their car's license plate is robots. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good and then that's it yes and then that's it gumby uh tells his tries to tell his parents that they had a great summer fun adventure which yeah it's like is it sort of the idea it's like oh we went on this adventure but they think we were just yeah, playing they think we were it's doing, like a yeah, narnia exactly, kind of thing yeah that he's like gumbo's like what did your kids do and he's like oh we were pirates and spacemen and we went to halloween town and they are like oh gumby and his imagination it's great to have such like a an active kid uh yeah and then it, uh, yes and then Pokey and Gumby just say bye. And just say bye. <laughs> Let's talk briefly about the concept that this is somehow a summer fun special. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, I mean, we'll get to the winter fun special. So, yeah, I uh, my working theory is that this was supposed to be a Halloween special because Halloween oh, is really? all over this issue. Like the werewolf, I the guess, aliens, yeah. they go to Halloween town, <laughs> they dress up like five times. The whole thing seems like it's supposed, like it's very Halloween-y to me. Um, yeah, I can see that. And then, and then it just seems like at some point they were like, actually scheduling change. It's going to be the summer fun adventure. And Bob Burden was like, oh, all right, well, just uh, at on, on that last page, change a couple of uh, Halloween references to summer. <laughs> but it is very good. clearly summer as well. It is. It, yeah, it does look like it's summer. That's true. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, I, I don't, don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any logical explanation for this. I think, like I said, it's the work of a madman. Yeah. Like now, I said, I I read it and then immediately took a nap because, <laughs> like. I was truly dreading reading the Winter Fun special after <laughs> after reading this. I did yeah, I not care not, for this at all. I could not believe what this was and like how it like how it was structured and how it was styled. There's just it's there's nothing that's like comprehensible about it mm -hmm. like i, I <laughs> this is gonna sound <laughs> incredibly douchey but i think we are two people who genuinely generally uh enjoy like kind of a surrealist bent to our humor but i, I yeah but like it's like i also would have been happy if this was like a very like like if it were a kid's comic and it were like gumby having fun or even like even Gumby becomes a pirate or like yeah it's just like the aliens are insane the astronaut bears are insane the werewolf is insane yeah <laughs> and then all... everything else is just like layered on top of that and it's like eight different things in like 40 right. pages that's the real the real trouble I have with it is how 
breakneck the pace of it is that like <laughs> yeah <laughs> just everything is just happening at all times and there's never really like a reason for any of it like there, there's yeah, like the- it's not it's not a story because like one thing doesn't follow the next it's just something happens and it's then like another a series thing of feverish vignettes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like i'm sure that like but still probably not the alien stuff and still probably not the space bears but most of the other elements of this could just be their own comic probably right like the pirate stuff definitely feels on brand the halloween town stuff is relatively on brand although like halloween town is a weird idea yeah yeah there's like a real thing amongst like some comic fans that there's like a a pushback against the idea like there's there's so there's like kind of a resistance to like the watchmanification of comics and the idea that like comics need to be realistic or serious in any way where people have kind of like i think swung the pendulum the other way maybe a little further than is really uh bearable for me into being like comics are so weird and it's awesome like can you believe that yeah, spider-man little, once was like had six arms he was like a real a spider random. yeah like comics are so crazy and to reading this <laughs> i'm like this is like everything i hate about the like comics are weird <laughs> like pro yeah. pro weirdness of comics like i like you can be weird and still like tell a coherent yeah, story. Like I think the Winter Fun special is like night and yes. day compared to this, where the Winter Fun special is also extremely weird, but it's oh, so it's, much better. It's a <laughs> like, lot to me. I mean, just because like it's like it tells one story yeah. like in a pretty cohesive way, even though it also does the thing where they like go to different locations, which we will get into. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think yes, I think we both agree that this is it's very strange that this, like, I'm, I, I truly, I read it. It's like, it's not like, oh, this isn't to my taste. It's like, I look at it and I just am so baffled <laughs> as to what anyone saw in it to yeah. be like, this is the best comic produced in this calendar year. <laughs> I tried to find some contemporary reviews of it to, to see, like, what it was exactly. I, I don't know. I feel like the Art Adams of it all is kind of uh, carrying a fair yeah, bit of it because like the, the art, art is, great. is cool sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I think the art is really good throughout. Like, again, he's a weird choice for Gumby, but I think the art is like, yeah, it's definitely like it's definitely technically proficient. Yes. <laughs> I think the art is is fun and and good to look at and like Art Adams certainly at this point is kind of like making a name for himself and already has a couple Eisners under the belt. Not that Bob Burden isn't making a name for himself at this point. Like Flaming Carrot is already out and and you know, he's he's celebrated in his own right. Um, yeah, it's just like I like I understand like the conceit of like what you would imagine this would be like if it if like I assume like at the time it was like oh like the creative team of Bob Burden and Art Adams and they're taking on Gumby which is like this kid's property but it's also kind of weird so like what's that gonna look like like I can understand why you would l- hear about that and think that like oh like that sounds like it could be really good actually but then reading it it's not good (laughs) so yeah i would characterize it as unpleasant to read yeah i did not have a good time with it um 
in sharp contrast to Gumby's Winter Fun special, uh, the cover of which features Gumby in hell, as we previously discussed. <laughs> and, and I mean, you could reasonably well, no, it's it's very clearly hell. Yeah, there's no, a it's scary hell. Cloud. There's, a, there's, there's no question about it. There's <laughs> a, a winged demon with a pitchfork. Several and, demented clowns, which yes. feature prominently throughout. A Medusa, and of course, the Lord of Darkness himself, Mr. Bub. <laughs> Mr. Bub. I, uh, yes. Yeah, in sharp contrast, I think reading the Winter Fun special might have been the hardest I've laughed out loud at a comic, certainly in the past five years, maybe ever. <laughs> it's it's very funny. Like It's also like, it's it's... Like I said, it's what I thought it would be, where it's just, like, they're, like, sort of tossed off lines that are sort of, like, spotlighting how weird the world that they live in is. Like, the fact that, like, so basically, the, the, <laughs> we can get into it. The overall conceit of the of the book is that Gumby and Pokey stop by the toy mine, yes. <laughs> which is where... Where all manner of toys are mined from the earth <laughs> and refined and processed, the as number, Pokey likes to point yeah, out. Yeah, the number of jokes about how if you have to be careful of the unrefined toys because <laughs> you'll cut yourself <laughs> on their sharp edges. Yes, on their sharp edges are extremely funny to me. The notion of a toy mine is extremely funny to me. <laughs> and like, it's yes, it more like it sort of lampshades the non sequiturs a little more where like, anytime something weird happens, it sort of like spends multiple pages interrogating like, how did this weird thing come to be? Yeah, a little more. Um, yeah, so they go to the toy mine where, which is staffed by like robots. I think they're of? also they're like nutcracker-ish sort oh, of like puppet toys. Yeah, I'll buy that. Um, but yeah, yes, they're, they're, the, the toys require a week or two for processing and refinement. <laughs> um, and yes, there's there's good bits about how they like hit a vein of rubber dinosaurs yes. and are like blasting for squirt guns. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's a cave-in at the toy Yeah, mine. okay. So there, there's a cave-in at the the toy mine the miners are seen fleeing the the blast site yelling yoik yoik too much kaboom <laughs> shaft 17 is sealed tight and the warden mr o'day <laughs> this is maybe the hardest i've ever laughed I'm at a this, this says jimmy christmas this is one of the top five worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm also obsessed with the guy who says that there are 10 to 12 people buried in the mine shaft oh, yeah. and then says, I can't talk. I'm going home to bed now. I, when I read this is one of the top five worst things I've ever seen, I literally was just lying on the couch cackling about it for like five minutes. I don't know why I find that so funny. It's really funny. Oh, it's funny. This is so good. Um, yes, and then oh, also the joke of Gumby going to dial nine one one and then freaking out, and then much like the guy who says he has to go home, Gumby says I'm going to pass out. Now. <laughs> really made me laugh. Um, but yes, and then Pokey. Okay, wait. Reveals... I want to pause briefly uh, on this this uh, section here because Pokey. This is another big like who is this for thing. Pokey expresses to not know what a Russian nesting doll is, but earlier yeah, in this same issue, he made a reference to the. Cuddy Sark. 
<laughs> Do you I know, didn't what know what the Cuddy Sark is? No, I didn't bother to Google it that. It is like uh, it's like a tea ship, like an English tall wow. ship that was used to like bring tea across to the States <laughs> and now is like a naval museum. So I'm like, right. so, so Pokey knows what the Cuddy Sark is and is going to build a model of it, but he doesn't know what Russian nesting dolls are. And also the reader is expected to know what both of those things are. <laughs> <laughs> the Cuddy Sark is like, it's like, you could have said the Lusitania, you, you could have, have said, said the Hindenburg, yeah. like any, or it's like the USS Endeavor or whatever, like whatever the name of the battleship is or even a spaceship there's so many options they went with the cutty sark <laughs> which is to be fair a good joke uh we also i think we uh what we neglected to bring up is that this is not written by bob burden mm -hmm. this is written by steve purcell who i found out is best known as the creator of sam and max mm -hmm. the like dog is it a dog and a rabbit uh, yeah. yeah, I and think they're so. detectives. Um, it was comics, and then there are a bunch of the like texted or uh, point and click adventure games. Like that was like an yeah. early LucasArts thing. He he. So he was like an ILM uh, animator and like worked in the LucasArts games department, and is now like a Pixar guy. Yeah, I I saw that he was with he worked on Cars. <laughs> yes, main, and and Brave. Thing. Yes. Um. So, yeah, definitely a, d a different voice in the room. But it's also like they do kind of feel of a piece. But it's definitely the humor is a bit more like self-referential, winky, which like you would think would be worse. But I think it needs that little bit of like structure. We're acknowledging. Well, the structure is another <laughs> thing, but also just like acknowledging that this is weird and not yeah. just like going along with it. Um, He also worked on Mater in the Ghost Light, I will say. <laughs> Um, but yes, so Pokey reveals that he is in possession of like a sort of crab it's basically boring the it's, machine. It, it's kind of the Omnidroid <laughs> from The Incredible. I was thinking that it looked like a vehicle from uh, Atlantis The Lost Empire. Totally. Or like Command and Conquer. Yeah, it looks like, uh, like uh, Moliere's. It's, like a like, it's, a, it's a spider droid with a giant drill on yeah, it. And it kind Which, of looks like a, a crab or maybe a fish. Yes, and Pokey sent away for it. Yes, because he saw six, an ad in a comic book. Six to eight weeks later, it arrived. <laughs> yes, um, and so then yes, then they go off to bore through this mine. They meet the fire chief. Yeah, who is like, I <laughs> again another incredible drawn. bit. The fire chief <laughs> encourages these two children to go dig below the earth and says, <laughs> "We'll continue our futile, useless onslaught from above." And then, as they go, basically like takes off his hat to hold it over his heart and says, "I wish I was aboard with those courageous lads." No, God, yes, God speed, speed, little Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> I almost uh, <laughs> I I feel like the people trapped in the mineshaft is like uh, a common enough trope, but I was briefly reminded of the 1950s film Ace in the Hole when he when <laughs> he talked about. <laughs> so the plot of Ace in the Hole is basically that like there's some cave in at a mine, and this like unscrupulous journalist is sort of like leveraging it for his own ends. It's for, it's a 1950. Oh, it's Billy Wilder. A very famous director. Um, Kirk Douglas is the journalist. Um, and so, like, it's about how basically he, like, sort of, like, 
does these things. He does like unscrupulous things to sort of like keep the story going and ensure that he is the one with the exclusive. And then there's a part where he convinces them to drill from above instead of like rebuilding the mine shaft in order to, so that it will stay like he'll be trapped in there longer. And that's what it, that's what it reminded me of when he said, we'll continue our feudal useless <laughs> onslaught from above. I was like, is this a reference? <laughs> but I'm just not sure. Um, but yeah, so Gumby and Pokey burrow into the toy mine. Yes. They find shaft 17, but it is abandoned. Uh, other than all the toys that are lying around. <laughs> yes. I believe they say it's Etch-a-Sketches. Yes, it's an Etch-a-Sketch. Well, they, yeah, they say it's Etch-a-Sketches, but when we see the shaft, I see like a Michelin Man thing. And I don't, I, I'm sure that character is like a recognizable joke of Wait, some kind, that here. other doll. But it's like a little kid wearing like a, a like checker boiler suit, oh. basically, with like, like a, a big... Yeah like almost like an astro boy style hairdo like a big yeah that's, that's like a pompadour uh, yeah. it's, it kind of has like the fallout guy energy yeah that's what i was thinking of as well but uh, yeah i'm sure it's a reference to something that contemporary readers might have recognized <laughs> yes or 50 50- it <laughs> it's important to remember that's, that's true um but yes and then they eventually while, while looking to see where the miners have gone they burrow deeper into the center of the earth yes. and discover the mole people uh, well before they do that they share uh, a snack together out of a gumby and pokey branded <laughs> lunchbox also a great fit uh but yeah so they discover that Mole people exist. And they, they are like w- New York Teamsters. <laughs> yes. The, the, what's very important is that the first thing that they say is, this is where we live and work. <laughs> Says like a cigar chomping foreman mole. Yes. And the job of the mole people, if I understand correctly, is to circulate the magma around the center of the earth so that the earth does not overheat yes the the, the central core the innermost layers <laughs> but yes like the earth is not actually capable of sustaining itself on its own it requires the mole people to like work it requires uh, you might say and perpetual circulation <laughs> yes all of all of their dialogue is written in a crazy <laughs> accent that does not bear any resemblance to a real accent who would ever say circulation <laughs> Uh, but yes, they find uh, that the the miners are down there. They were brought down by the moles uh, in the hopes that <laughs> the hopes that they <laughs> this would <part's> be unclear. <laughs> no, it's not unclear. It's just insane. Oh, so the, right. the this is where it's established. Yeah, the that... mole foreman says that their good friend, quote unquote, Ray Crab. <laughs> Which, uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but their good friend Ray Crab is being held by, and I quote, (laughs) the Prince of Darkness and his hateful imps. (laughs) I love a good use of the word hateful as an adjective to describe someone. Hateful imps is great. The miners were brought down to uh, help them rescue Ray Crab from the Prince of Darkness and his hateful imps, but instead are stuffing their faces on uh, mole people food and fighting each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's the deal? The, the 
people who work at the toy mine talk in a weird way. Yeah, I, I don't. I, it's sort of like an old English thing. Like, I no, I feel like it's that like they're they're sort of like a deranged, uh, <laughs> like the fact that oh, you not, think they're deranged. Yeah, I do think they're deranged. There's a lot of people who are deranged in these comics. I think the fact that they're like not actually human and are like animated toys is supposed to kind right. of account for their like weird oh, I speech see. Like, they patterns. Don't really know, yeah, like, they're what like kind of is. <laughs> yeah, or that like they're kind of broken. <laughs> so right. they don't really like speak properly and they like are constantly finding reasons to fight each other. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I mean let's let's speak at plain here. They are tasking Gumby and Pokey <laughs> to go to hell. Yes. Fight Satan and his minions yes. in order to rescue their friend Ray Crab. Yes. And well, just just hold that in your just hold that in your pocket for one second. Because we'll get to Ray Crab. Um they're joined by a stowaway, Natasha, the little mole girl. Yes, who, who they discover who says, while they're on their express elevator to heck, the closest the comic comes to acknowledging <laughs> yes. that Gumby they is in hell. hell. <laughs> Uh, and she says, I want to go with you to the Earth's core and battle the Prince of Darkness and his hateful imps. <laughs> yes, she too is eating out of the branded Gumby and Pokey uh, lunch bag. Yeah, the thing, the, the bit is that Pokey is very hungry in this one. Yes. Um, but yes, and then we get a two-page spread of hell. Yes. Then we do get a two-page spread of hell, and it is very good. There's, like I mentioned, lots of demented clowns. It's... Part of me wonders if this is supposed to be a direct killing joke homage, but I think it might be too early. But like the the number of clown heads that are spraying acid or have <laughs> roller coasters going into their <laughs> gaping their maws, burning maws, yeah, <laughs> are it feels it feels pretty pretty uh, killing jokeish to me. Where like this the part where Commissioner Gordon is brought to see Joker at an amusement park while like high on LSD and dressed in bondage gear. <laughs> well, uh, as we all remember, Gumby Winter Fun Special. December 1988. Batman the Killing Joke is, of course, from March 1988. <laughs> so, I'm not ruling it out in the in the slightest. <laughs> right. Um, so There's also a great joke where there is like a carnival thing which is labeled Kiss Phyllis Diller. <laughs> With tentacles coming out. Yes, Phyllis Diller who is just like an old, like a cranky old lady comedian. Yeah. It's there's like there's a joke, like, I guess. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, like the entire hellscape is full of very like 80s references where some people are being forced to sit through a week-long Catherine Valentine TV movie <laughs> festival followed by uh, jokes are <laughs> a 72 oh followed followed by uh, a 20 year hee-haw retrospective <laughs> <laughs> there's another demon who is forcing uh, hordes of people covering their ears to listen to the hit songs of the 70s including seasons in the sun having my baby and of course muskrat love um, and then he says, "Remember that first pimple," so, implying that the people in hell were chill, were teenagers yeah, in the seventies. So these are all like thirty-year-olds. Yes, these people are like twenty-eight. <laughs> they died in car crashes. Who knows? Uh, and then 
yeah, there's like people who are being forced to watch a bunch of commercials, which is like a very like late ni- 80s, early yes, 90s that's a style such joke. An 80s joke. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Imagine just either, if like, you had to watch like, commercials all day. The show was never coming back. Yeah, or just like, you have to meet this celebrity that everyone hates. <laughs> uh, my personal favorite punishment is the extremely fat demon who is manning a <laughs> cart which appears to sell moth lips, warm moldy apple stems, and dishwater taffy, is handing a product to someone and saying, it's out of my hands, pal. You gotta have a night. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Um so yes, and anyways, and then the next page after that, <laughs> yes, we we meet Ray we get Crab. The reveal of Ray Crab, a man in red pants, suspenders, a white shirt, and with a white beard. Yes, it's <laughs> very clearly outlined. This man is Santa Claus. <laughs> okay, let's talk Ray Crab for a second. Number one, he's being. Oh, that's why yeah, it's winter fun. That's, a, that's the exact same thought I had in the shower this morning. <laughs> when I was working through my The Summer Fun special is actually a Halloween special. Because uh, then I was like, and, uh, yeah, and like, what's the deal with the winter special? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess Santa is in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because hell is like the opposite of winter. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk Ray Crab here for a second. Number one, he's being actively stabbed in the chest with a pitchfork and not responding to it. <laughs> which... Number two, he's yeah, hot. So apparently, he's su- it's supposed to be Sean Connery. I was about to say it looks like um, Sean Connery. The especially like the the white beard and the yeah. dark mustache is a very yeah, Sean the, Connery the sort of look, balding, especially around uh, this time. It's like Hunt for yeah. Red October. Um, the the Ray Crab name is this a joke? Yeah, what uh, does that mean? Like, yeah, I googled it. I, well, I googled Ray Crab, and it made shock you to learn that didn't, <laughs> turn, that turned didn't up uh, yield a lot for me. I was wondering if it was like a Sean Connery role, or like oh, if there was man. some. Hold on, let me do some research here. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out if there was like a reference of some kind that I was just missing, um, or like we can it's not, it's not a it's not a christmas not, joke like not as far as i can tell like uh, my, my your sister-in-law my beloved wife has been planning her like murder mystery 30th birthday party <laughs> where all the characters have names like ben Jarelbo, the <laughs> the local bartender so i was trying to be like rake rab is that, <laughs> is that is this broccoli yeah, is this rob some kind of like uh, murder mystery-esque uh, terrible pun name i couldn't really put anything together there either Sean Connery played the Green Knight in Sword of Evidently, the Valley. Sean Connery um, played a lot of roles, I feel. that That's <laughs> true. May he rest. Maybe. I'm not seeing a lot of Ray Crab relevant content. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah, seeing I don't, it, I don't, quite, honestly. I don't, if it's supposed to be a joke, I don't get it. Is it a long and short of Is it? Is it a reference to Ray Kroc, the founder <sighs> I himself? I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> We're, sure? we're not sure but uh anyways ray crab chastises uh the kids for th- expecting him to be fat or jolly he is of course built and uh hot <laughs> <laughs> he is undeniably hot i feel like he has been sent to hell uh due to overdue library books it seems i yes i believe he, he's been sent to hell on a technicality <laughs> 
and as they are uh, preparing to uh, set loose Ray Crab, they are accosted by uh, the Adams family butler? <laughs> question mark. Well, I think this is their play. Oh, please don't stop. Sorry, Lurch. That's rude yes. to Lurch. No, it's not. It's just like a demon butler. But I think this is their plan that oh, they are distracting. They're distracting yes, Satan because they call this <laughs> so guy over. Natasha, the mole girl, can un can loose Ray yes, Crab's they chains. They express their desire to become demons. <laughs> they want to. <laughs> yeah, they 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 want to yes, quote, join up. In, for my second favorite joke of the book, Pokey asks to speak to Mister Bub. <laughs> uh tickles me so good i can't it's also worth noting that at this point gumby and pokey are melting because because of the The fires of hell yes uh and in the panel where we first see that they're starting to melt uh there are some truly obscene nipples on one of the demons that are (laughs) unacceptable for a children's book or or really an adult's book <laughs> Anyways, uh, Ray Crab breaks out. He does like a Superman pose where he yes. breaks the shackles of oppression uh, and then runs off, which is yes. also a good bit. Um, Natasha the Mole Girl collects not- Gumby and Pokey's melted bodies in buckets. <laughs> yes, they, they go there in buckets, which is also very funny. Um, Ray Crab screams, let's blow. <laughs> uh, they all get on board the spider drill machine. And yes, Gumby off. and Pokey are reconstituted, sitting in the buckets, uh, which Pokey really looks like he's just, like, squatting over to do his business there for a second. Mm, indeed. Uh, and then, yes, eventually they blast off back onto the surface of the Earth, where they're in ostensibly Japan. Yeah. I, they're, they're, they're in Tokyo. They don't say it for some this reason. Is- <laughs> But yeah, they're in this, Tokyo, this, which is being destroyed by like 10 different yes, kaiju. This section is where it starts to get a little summer funny <laughs> to me. <laughs> like the monsters are all yes, fighting each other bit, and but decide it's also like, that they want to be called Bert. And then like this giant Gumby Zord appears <laughs> out of nowhere. Yes. So it's like it's like one is visibly like it's not Godzilla, but it is. One is really like Mothra and Rodan. Or whatever the name of the the three headed dragon from the Godzilla verse is, right. um, and then yes, a Gumby bot appears. Weirdly, okay, well, okay, there's two very strange things about it. One is that Gumby did not make this; he f- or some, or find it even. Yeah, Ray Crab found it in a hangar over at the airfield. Two is that <laughs> Gumby doesn't drive it. Yeah, <laughs> it's being it's piloted by Ray Crab. <laughs> Um, he mostly, and then he mostly just does a pose, which is also funny. And then the monsters get scared of the Gumby robot. Um, and then they go home. Yeah, they (laughs) go home. Once again, they go home. There's a block party going on. Uh, someone says, say, isn't that a 20 story high Gumby shaped robot approaching at about Mach 8? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ray Crab calls his wife. Says yeah. he has to drop off some old war buddies. <laughs> Threatens uh, Gumby that he better be nice. Uh, but he was just kidding. But he was just kidding. And then Beelzebub and his hateful imps are at the barbecue. <laughs> yes, everyone got invited. There's a there's a winter carnival to celebrate uh, 
the the victory that the toy the miners were saved and the yeah. and the mole people were there and so the mole people are invited and also <laughs> the demons are invited <laughs> yes they're there beelzebub mr bub himself is complicating uh, sorry complimenting uh gumbo's burgers uh and once again pokey and gumby look directly to camera <laughs> yes. and say see you all next time but also, like, they are just like, well, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. the end. <laughs> and then the back cover of this yeah, one guess. features some, like, Savage Land-esque. Uh, yeah, just like some hot cave babes. Yeah, and, like, dinosaurs. And <laughs> Pokey being carried, like, hog-tied yeah, yeah. <laughs> by a couple of, like, barbarians <laughs> prepared to be roasted. <laughs> Uh, and there's yeah. also a, a piece of art that's basically just Gumby and Pokey in Jurassic Park. Yes. But wait, um, Jurassic Park wasn't... Wait, what is this referencing then? Was the book out? The Wait, this is insane. I don't know. Because it's like, looking at it, it's just like, yes, this is a reference to the movie Jurassic Park as we that we all know and love. But it's also, this is from 1988. Jurassic Park was from 1993. <laughs> the, no, the novel. Uh, what? Okay, this is wild. The novel came out in 1990. Yeah, so I, I don't. Maybe. <laughs> okay, my guess is that it's a, maybe a reference to Xenozoic Tales, which sure? which is a um like an indie book that started coming out in '86. I want to say by Mark Schultz. Uh, yeah, '86. Um. And was like very much like a pulpy. So it was, I think, oh, okay, it was originally called Xenozoic Tales, but changed its name to Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Mm. Um, which, yeah, that that uh, piece of like th- that pinup gives me big uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs <laughs> energy, as far as the the t- huge T Rex chasing the Jeep. Yes, first published in 1987, so the time is correct. But yes, the fact, it's just, it's so Jurassic Park because it's them driving a Mercedes Jeep being chased by a giant T-Rex. <laughs> like, there was never any question in my mind that it was a Jurassic Park, like, sort of spin until yeah. I realized that it couldn't possibly be. Yeah, <laughs> great, great, uh, great little piece of work there. I do like that the um, the like Savage Land things on the back are like little standees that you could like cut out and, uh, and pose if are. you so chose. <laughs> uh, and of course, these are all publications of Comico, the comic company, uh, probably best known for being the place where. Um, Matt Wagner debuted like Grendel and Mage. Have you ever, you haven't read either of those? No, I don't know what that is. They would be outside your wheelhouse. They're like indie darling titles, um, especially, well, I, yeah, Grendel has its fans. I'm not wild about it, but uh, Mage, I think, is probably what he's yeah, best more known of a for. Beowulf guy. <laughs> uh huh. Um, Grendel is kind of like a classic sort of anti hero. Uh, like super villain as the protagonist comic um and then mage is sort of like a a very like late 80s deconstruction slash reconstruction of like superhero tropes um both very popular both both kind of like flagship titles for comico uh which 
there was like a stretch there where people were kind of like the big three marvel dc and comico and then they went bankrupt <laughs> it's, and like it was like kids comics mostly i imagine no not not really like grendel is definitely not a kid's oh, comic yeah, right, 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 neither right. is uh neither is mage i feel like the other two chuck dixon had a title with them that was called evangeline i think something like that um yes. and bill bill willingham uh of fables fame also had like an early yeah, I think it was called Elementals, another like superhero story with them that also wouldn't have been like a kid's book. But they did have a fair bit of licensed stuff. I'm trying to remember. I was looking at their licensed properties earlier. Yeah, and the thing is that the the reason another part where um, Gumby had come up is because this is the time of the Gumby 3D comics, which were published by Blackthorn Comics, which we talked about in I believe episode one where they found financial success with their 3D comic adaptations of the California Raisins. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, then, and then were bankrupted by Moonwalker. Oh, yeah. So, it's like, so there was a Gumby series being published. So, yeah, so the Gumby 3D comics, it only ran for seven issues from October 1986 through January 1988. So, the time frame is right, but I... They, I don't, I don't know if, but if it wasn't published by Blackthorn, then I don't know, like what, what was going on there. Yeah, um, some of the other titles that Comico was publishing were Johnny Quest, Star Blazers, Max Headroom, <laughs> Space Ghost, uh, and then The Rocketeer. I guess was coming out from them at one point and the Max, which is Sam Keith's uh, creator owned character who I th- moved to image later on and uh, has oh, yeah. been Isn't there like for a, like kind of like a big monster guy. Yeah. He's like a huge purple thing with like spikes for hands. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he apparently debuted in a, uh, in a comic book. Um, then they went bankrupt and were brought bought out by Andrew Rev, who is a uh, like super villain-esque figure in the like comics industry world, who was like recently in the news for being a scumbag uh, and and pretty much has always been. <laughs> the funniest thing, so <laughs> I don't want to go too far down the Andrew Rev uh, rabbit hole, except to say that the only things that uh, are really known about him are that he is the guy who bought Comico. He has like a production company, a comics production company called Terrific Comics. Uh, He like notoriously doesn't pay creators for work completed. He owns the rights to Rob Liefeld's Youngblood. Hmm. And like pretty much nothing else. Like (laughs) his his age speculated upon his like place of residence speculated upon how he acquired the young blood rights not known <laughs> whoa <laughs> yeah he's like a very he's a very bizarre figure there's like lots of uh lots of articles you can read about uh him and and more importantly how he screws over uh creators who work with him so if you are uh, an inspiring comics creator and get uh an offer from Andrew Rever, Terrific Comics. I advise you to not do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is yeah. concrete industry advice. Yeah, here we go. Um, but yes, he he bought out uh, Comico, and uh, subsequently that caused lots of um, 
issues for publication of some of the like Grendel and yeah. Mage both I mean, had I issues as a result. I certainly would have hoped that it caused some issues to be uh, publication. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what the whole freaking point is. <laughs> <laughs> now that now that you have video, I can see that you're laughing. <laughs> I forgot about that. Should have uh, should have turned that off. But anyways. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, Seminal Works, the greatest comic book of 1987. Apparently. Well, so that also reminds me, uh, we've obviously we've already talked about the, uh, <laughs> the, the Eisners from that, uh, that year because, uh, it won the Summer Fun Special won <laughs> yes, the Eisner. It was a winner. For best single issue, beating out, uh, Concrete number five, Eddie Current number one. Grendel number 12, Justice League International number one, and Zot number 14. Um, I have read one, two, three of those five and would gladly read, I think it's safe to say, any of them over having to read Gumby <laughs> Summer Fun Special number one again. That's um, oh, brutal. Yeah. No, no equivalent. Uh, oh no, there is there is a um, an equivalent Harvey Award for best single issue for which Gumby Summer Fun was also nominated. The other nominees were Love and Rockets number nineteen, Love and Rockets number twenty three, uh, the Space Ghost Special, Uncle Scrooge number two nineteen, and the winner was Watchmen number nine. Um, it's a reasonable take, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. I don't believe there were any nominations for uh, the Winter Fun Special, which is uh, Crime Against Humanity and That's a Real true. Tragedy. Yeah, I'm seeing an 89, no nominations for the Winter Fun Special for the Harveys. And for the Eisners, if it would be so kind as to load yeah, for is me. just like all yeah. killing joke. and No no nominations. Animal Man, Killing Joke, Swamp Thing, Twist number two, and the winner, Kings in Disguise number one. What's that? Sad but true. Well, so, what's, anyways. What's Kings in Dis- wait, what's Kings in Disguise? Never heard of it. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, never heard of it. Uh, could be great. Maybe I'll read it someday. The reason that I brought up the awards, though, is that uh, Gumby is an awards darling, it seems, because in 2007, hmm. the winner of Best Publication for a Younger Audience, Gumby by Bob Burden. <laughs> Whoa. In 2007? <laughs> yes, making his triumphant return to Gumby <laughs> his seminal 20 book. years later. He, he is taking home best publication for a younger audience and best humor publication for Flaming Carrot. Um, mm. 2007, big year for Bob Burden. I don't believe that there were, uh, there, there's not like an equivalent, uh, like kids comic thing for the Harveys, I don't think. Yeah, I can confirm that no, no Gumby nominations for the Harveys that same That's year. A shame. But people seem to, uh, seem to love, Bob Burden's Gumby work, apparently. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? <laughs> like, what? Maybe, what can you say? Maybe some of it is good. It's hard to know if this one was winning awards. I can't really, uh, can't really speak to the broader industry opinion on it. I would. I'm still very interested to know why they liked it so much. Yeah. Like, what? I, like there must there must have been some kind of like societal like it's really just like what was going on in the political sphere at that time that would cause society as a whole to 
react positively to this work. Yeah. Uh, I, I, can't, I have no, no explanation to offer you. Uh, here's what I can tell you about Kings in Disguise, though. Multi Harvey and Eisner Award winner uh made the 101 best graphic novels of all time uh as published by stephen wiener never heard of him either hailed by alan moore will eisner harvey kurtzman and art spiegelman set during the great depression the story follows 13 year old freddie block or blosh a jewish boy from the fictional town of marion california when his father and brother are taken from him, <laughs> Freddy takes to the rails as a hobo. He oh. soon meets Sammy, the king of Spain, a sickly older hobo who takes Freddy under his wing. Together, they travel through scarred, riddled, am- weird, weird phrasing, through scarred, riddled America, searching for Freddy's father. Among other places, their travels take them through Detroit during a period of labor revolt. Cheers. Six issue in a <laughs> limited series. <laughs> Hats off to them. <laughs> yeah, definitely going to be checking that out. Oh, its sequel was published in 2013. All right, we've got our next series. Um, thank you all for listening as always. I hope you enjoyed this foray into the world of Gumby. Uh, I'm sure that he will not be coming back. <laughs> there aren't that many. There are other Gumby comics that I've seen, mainly the Gumby 3D, but not much more than that. So no more Gumby, but we will figure out something else to do uh, in that time well, period. Well, you of course already know what's uh, what's coming next. Yes, so. we all know it's going to be. So look out for that when that comes. <laughs> very naturally inserted in in post-processing um but yeah so look forward to that next week as always rate and review subscribe however you can figure out a way to do that um and um and i'll catch you riding the rails just like old flop just like old hobo what's his name freddie bloch (laughs) freddie bloch or blosh and uh sammy the king of spain Hmm. Kind of a Gumby and Pokey type figure. Yeah, kind of. From your resident Gumby and, and my and your resident Pokey. Pokey. <laughs> Goodbye. And good luck. <laughs>